Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the fine folks at Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia, from which all of these panels were recorded at Metatopia 2017. It's also thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers. Now let's get to the show. Episode 174, Designing the GM Section of Your Games. Presented by Phil Vecchione, Will Heinmarch, and Beth Rimmels. Mics are on. I think this is loud enough. You guys you can, can all hear us? hear us, right? Awesome. Okay. Um, well, hi. Uh, my name is Phil Vecchione, and I'm trying to remember the exact title of this panel, but it's about writing the GM section of your role-playing game. Right. And um, this is my first Metatopia, so I'm going to defer introducing myself any further and, and pass, it over, <laughs> pass it over to Beth. Pass it over to me. Hi, my name is Beth Rimmels. I have been... Uh, playing for I don't know, decades and uh, GMing for one less year than that. So I've been doing this a long time and I actually have written the GM section of a RPG book. So yay. So I, I have opinions on this. <laughs> right on. Uh, uh, I'm Will Heinemarch. I'm a writer, game designer, and uh, layout person, graphic designer, uh, so forth. Um, I worked on uh, games like Vampire the Requiem. Uh, after the core book, so all the GM material that we did for that was after the core book was out. Um, but I've worked on numerous RPGs for Fantasy Flight, Atlas Games, White Wolf, uh, uh, my own indie stuff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, this is a, a subject of great both passion and sometimes exhaustion for me. <laughs> um, my name I just I said before Phil Vecchione. I'm uh, the host of um, two GMing podcasts, uh, The Misdirected Mark and uh, Pandas Talking Games. Um, and I have written a trilogy of books on GMing for Engine Publishing, uh, so Never Unprepared, Odyssey, and Turning um, Focal Point. And uh, so yeah, and and I was and I'm one of the founding members of the Gnome Stew GMing blog. So yeah, writing about GMing stuff has like been my thing for like eight plus years. So and I've written one or two games. So I'm now getting into uh, writing the GMing sections for those. So. I also have, yeah, definitely some feels on that. <laughs> <laughs> definitely some feels on that as well. A little opinionated. Uh, yeah, so I'll throw out, I'll throw out my, my initial idea because mm-hmm. it was good. It was a polarizing enough that we all didn't agree with it, which I think makes for the best kind of panel. Um, and, and so, um, and, and this is completely biased because I do this on a, a near weekly basis. But I remember when I was younger that the GMing sections of books would have a lot of general GMing advice besides anything specific to the game, but there was a lot of general jamming, like what to do with your problem player and stuff like that. Um, and that was good when there was the occasional Dragon Magazine article and then whatever I could buy at the hobby shop. But we now live in an age where general GMing advice is produced on a weekly basis in a huge volume. I mean, there are numerous podcasts that are putting it out, numerous blogs that are creating that content. And that when we talk about you know keeping word counts down or you know keeping page counts under control, that there's a certain amount of GMing advice we don't have to impart anymore. That there is now a collective body of of like I think best practice that now exists, not necessarily curated, but um, players can go. And I think there's room for what I would consider um, probably the like Appendix G, like 
go like go to these pages or see these articles kind of things. Um, but then there's still definitely room for GMing advice in particular games. So I, I will I will put that there and I'll let you guys take that. So you semi-objective first. So you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> well, so part part of the issue to me, I, I absolutely both agree and love the fact that there are there is so much advice and material and content and procedure and and guidance for GMs specific in general on the internet uh, and in books that are dedicated to the topic and no RPG book is going to be able to encompass the whole of GMing uh, in such a capacity that any one RPG text is kind of the iconic entry text anymore um, because it's sort of like if you went to a movie and it taught you how to watch a movie but that's not true because it's more like if you went to the set and see people wanted to tell you how to make a movie because the players are collaborators and all of that. And so my feeling is that there are more choices open to the designer now in terms of what you include and how much of it you include. And I don't know that the readership is moving at the same pace, just by which I mean, uh, I know uh, emails we've gotten over the years from readers who say there's this too much of this GMing advice is familiar to me, I already knew this stuff, why is this in my book? Or uh, but how do I do this specific thing in the game? The book doesn't cover that. Uh, you can't. There's so much to cover, and you can't cover all of it in, in even a like a core rulebook size book that's just about GMing. There's a yeah. reason, right, that there are so many of these yeah. books and blog posts out, uh, and good ones. Um, so to me, the, the the question is, what choices you make about what to include and why, uh, and think about how that decision also translates to a when for the reader. If your RPG is somebody's first RPG, what do you tell them? Where do you point them? What is your appendix G? But also, you don't get to decide if your RPG is somebody's first RPG. You can, you know, try to hope that happens, try to persuade them, but it's not up to you. And uh, if we all behave like we're somebody's first RPG, that's great. But it also means that we're all dedicating 300 words or 300 pages in some cases to stuff that lots of RPGs have already said. And I don't want to necessarily say I've said better, but in the notion that you, it's, if, when it's advice as opposed to rules, it's a big question about. What, how it fits the audience, how it fits the reader, and sometimes that's a better, that's just compatibility, it's not about better. So uh, I think saying these things over and over again is valuable, but I also think that there's a, a, you know, choices to make about when and where that happens. Exactly. And I fall somewhere in the middle between these two, um, because I, I sort of understand where you're coming from as far as a lot of stuff can go to G and just send them to the other resources. And yes, there's absolutely more material out there than we can ever cover. However, that said, there are certain things where I basically agree with Will, where you do need to repeat, even if you are risking repeating yourself because they're so important. And like one example for that, in my opinion, is safety tools. Mm -hmm. Because for as much as there are people who completely know, oh yeah, I've heard about this all over again, I still run into people who are like, X card, what's an X card? Mm -hmm. And things like that completely change the play experience. They completely change whether you have a safe table, which means you get people coming back. Um, and for that matter, safe community. So at the risk of possibly repeating certain things, I feel like the constant reinforcement, and it sort of helps to set a little bit of a tone for how we want the industry to go as right. far as that these things are a priority. So these topics we'll refer to in Appendix G and you can see the tons of material for it. But these things, no, we're going to keep saying and reinforcing right. because they are considered a pillar of the community. We want to make sure everybody's on the same page. Even if they technically don't, may not read it, we can't guarantee they'll read it. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's a great example yeah, of where the choices helpful. are available because uh, uh, 
for example, even if the notion is that any three people writing RPG books decide we're all going to cover some kind of safety procedure, all three of us choose to do it in our RPGs, that one of us might highlight the X card, and one person might highlight hand gestures, one person right. might highlight uh, pause, rewind, fast forward type, mm -hmm. type stuff. Um, and they're all available, and we can decide which one better suits this particular game. But it doesn't mean that you have to cover all the different possibilities as long as you're covering the important safety you know, procedures so that, the, so that, so that uh, healthy, confident, fun play happens at the table. Uh, there, there are multiple ways to reach the same successful yep. uh, uh, guidance and advice. Yep. And some of them are better fits for different games. So I, I'm almost seeing like there's almost like three strata of advice. So there's, there's, like, there's general advice, which is, you know, how do I keep my players from looking at their cell phones while we're right. playing, right? Like that we can farm off yep. to the internet. Then I think there's, like, like Beth said, I think there's some advice that is, no matter how many times we say it, it goes into every book, like safety. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I mean, that's an amazing example because it's not something that we, we did in the past and it's something like we should never stop doing right. in the future. And then I think, and I think this is something, Will, you said to me in email, I think the, the next tier is the specific GMing advice that then supports the game yes. that, right. that you're playing. So, you know, that's the, yes, this is somewhat generic advice, but because of the way this game plays, we're, gonna, we're still going to talk about this because it's important to actually help you right. uh, run this game successfully. Right, like if you're doing a superhero game, you may want to add some emphasis on how to have that cinematic feeling, mm -hmm. you know, to a game. Whereas if you're doing like a more intimate story game, you don't necessarily need those particular tips. And I mean, there's always a question to me as to what constitutes the word advice, yeah. right? Because mm -hmm. I use that word uh, liberally. Uh, I use it in a very broad sense. But is that uh, I get, I've gotten in arguments over whether or not advice and bad advice are the same thing. Um, I know folks uh, uh, who kind of argue that GMing advice is useless because it's not actionable at the table. You can't necessarily, like, uh, uh, advice like, um, well, you know, create a, uh, cultivate an atmosphere of, of, of dread at the table. Cool. How? How yes. do I do that? And one of those, uh, and, and I agree that that's the start of advice, um, and that that alone is necessarily, is kind of bad at being advice, but it is also good content, it's just not enough, right? right. The question is, is about specificity and generality mm -hmm. and not only knowing what your game is about, but really great GM procedures and policies um, and guidance show what your game is about and bring the GM in to be a collaborator so that they can show what the game is about at the table. Um, and often so they can cultivate it out of the players. Right. I think, I mean, do you want to say something first? No, go ahead. Oh, okay. I was going to yeah. say, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of one of my favorite um, set of GMing advice, and I, I know it's a project you actually, I think, worked on either directly on the actual book or on supplement is Knights Black Agents. Hmm. The GMing advice for Knights Black Agents is amazing because Ken says that this book is about vampires, conspiracies in European cities. And then in the GMing section, there is, there is a chapter on, here is how you make vampires. Mm -hmm. And there is a chapter on, here is how, if you've never been to a European city, to find out how to get information so that you can give that feel. Like, I mean, it's, right. you know, I mean, every, every one of those statements is reinforced with a chapter of yep. not only GMing advice of make it feel like a European city, but right. here's how you go and research yep. and get information. Here's, uh, here's how much is enough. Here's how much is yeah. maybe starting to, you know, overindulge. Yeah. For yeah. The you're gonna be able to if you're Ken, it's okay to go this far. <laughs> the rest of you only need to go, yeah. And, I, there's a term I, I love using for that, which is weaponize. Like, I want to mm -hmm. weaponize a GM to run mm -hmm. this game. And, mm -hmm. like, that's, I mean, that's how I felt when I read Knights Black Agents was like, oh, I can totally run this game now. Like, right. I, not, I have everything I need to, to, you know, to do exactly what 
Ken was intending this game to do. Right. right. Another one I'd like to shout out to because it was kind of the urtext for uh, giving advice to GMs and how to handle things, uh, which is Aaron Alston's Strike Force. Mm -hmm. Because before that one, even like Dungeon um, Master's Guide and stuff like that, never really, they told GMs how to like build a dungeon not how to handle players, not how to pace a campaign, not how, you know, all this other stuff. And Aaron Olson's the first one who put it in there. And there was a recent reprint and expansion of, with some material he had never uh, published in the original, um, of Aaron Alston's Strike Force. And you can find it on, our, you know, drive through RPG, and you can find it through Indie Press Revolution, or anything else. And while it, I feel like a lot of the stuff from Gnome Stew, from the Engine Press books and everything, uh, Engine Publishing books and everything else, kind of all go back to that. So it's kind of interesting to see that sort of source material. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually pretty sure one of the one of the engine books actually credits Aaron yeah. for first. Yeah. Right. But you guys did, but for a long time, a lot of people didn't. You right. know, he, he, he was like a pillar of the industry yep. that people forgot about for a while. And I'm just so happy. He's now deceased, so I'm happy to see him get the, the credit. Yeah. But you guys did, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, again, I mean, blue booking and all. Yep. Yeah, I mean, some amazing advice. Yeah, so that's a bit more general stuff, but it's still, it's kind of interesting to go back and sort of see and then compare it to the newer stuff where we are talking about things like safety tools and how to weaponize, you know, the material. And that, uh, uh, I think it speaks too to the fact that when, when Aaron was writing those, the whole hobby was new to an extent yeah. that even general advice was new and suddenly applicable. And so, and, and that, I recall, I don't know if I have a copy of that book, so I didn't know it was on drive through I'm going to get it. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, the, the awesome. reprint is, yeah, Aaron Olsen Strike Force. They did a, a, basically, a refresh. They didn't want people, basically, to forget what he did, and he had right. passed away. And his family opened up his archives of the material that he never published but had in support of this. And there's a huge amount of additional Sweet. material now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's that example, right, where on the one hand, talking about pacing in yeah. general is still valuable, but that information... The, uh, the hobby has a longer memory, I think, than sometimes it seems. And also the average people who come to play RPGs, and when I say average, I have no idea how I'm cutting that word, what the shape of that word is in this case, but is that people you know, think differently about movies and television and games and stuff when they, play, when they come to RPGs. So on the one hand, there's more lingo available to, to players, I feel like now, not necessarily to, than, there were, than there was, uh, uh, you know, say, in, in the early 80s, but it's that... Uh, there's a lot of portable lingo all over. So there's somebody doesn't can't find GM advice, they find advice on storytelling for a novel or a movie or whatnot. Uh, uh, people like Aaron Olson showed how that information is portable to gaming. Yep. Um, and so now the question is, how do you take a vast knowledge of and sort of best practices that evolved over the years and choose which ones go into your mm -hmm. specific text um, so that you end up with a nice black agents? Uh, yep. For example, where you're not that game doesn't worry too much about other kinds of spy genres or other kinds of edge cases. It's 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 helping you stay away from the edge cases and make the game play like it's supposed to play, like like well, not even supposed to, right? But in the sense of what the game's strengths are and helping players and the GM arrive at that, so that they don't accidentally wander into something that the game's not going to help them support. Right. Yeah. What yeah. is something that, that's, that we do that's then, uh, uh, weaponize is good, I like uh, dramatize, I mm -hmm. use as well, um, but is the notion that says that, that puts GM stuff into play, like I think about adventures and scenario design and these sorts of things uh, uh, that help us turn advice and guidance into actual uh, activities for the GM to do during play or before play. Do we have things that we, that we think are still current or they're no longer that we can start leaving out of RPG books? Um, See, it, it, that's the hardest part is knowing what to leave out because, as you said, you don't know who is uh, somebody's first RPG book or first book that they're looking at right. as a GM. Right. And 
sensitive decision as to what to put and what to What's, leave out gets really yeah, tough some days. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, like so much else in, this, in a design. It's, an, it's a design decision and an, it's an artful decision. It's not a science decision. Mm-hmm. It's not an engineering decision per se. Um, the, the two-fold thing, answer that, would, uh, 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 that I respond to that with is one, since all storytelling involves leaving stuff out, um, you have the ability to emphasize and, and narrativize storytelling advice by examples of play, um, make, making it clear that you say that I'm not going to give you GM advice on what happens when characters die because I don't think they should die in this game, mm-hmm. or what have you. Or, or, so here's advice on, on justifying why that character is still alive, um, or what have you. Uh, but it's also the adventure, uh, uh, talking about specifically how scenario design works for this, for this game and help you decide what you're going to include and what you're going to leave out. H- how many of us are in the midst of this process right now of working on adventure uh, uh, mit- design <laughs> materials or GM in- chapters or, okay, cool. Um, and also there I see uh, the, the note about mm-hmm. uh, how to create sessions and yeah. adventures for the game, um, which makes me feel like, oh, and tropes. Yeah. Tropes. Right, touchstones and, and uh, uh, for me, one of the things that I do to, to actualize the, the advice process is um, I atomize it as best I can, so that rather than saying, here's a full chapter on momentum or pacing, um, here, is a, here are three examples of the same critical hit, one that is long, one that is medium, and one that is short, right? And then the GM can say, cool, I want, I want to really make the critical hit sing, but we're in the final 15 minutes of play, and I'm not going to do 20 minutes on a critical, I say critical hit, but it could be right for a social action or, or a, 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 an investigative action. Um, then I want to emphasize the player's success and not necessarily uh, embellish it over time. Right. Uh, do we have core advice to change the way that we do these things? That's something that we saw that we were like, since this turn, whether it existed in another RPG or whatnot, I, we've done things differently. So, I mean, like Knights Black Agents. Knights Black Agents was uh, Fake Core was another one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought Fake Core had a, uh, Fake Core very much told you like, here's here's how to run the game. Like I. I mean, I remember a lot of my, you know, a lot of my youth was spent, I would buy the core book, mm-hmm. plus I would buy the first adventure. And mm-hmm. I don't typically run published adventures, mm-hmm. but I would need the first adventure to read it and be like, oh, this is how they put together the adventure, so I, my stuff right. has to look like, right. like, I need to have these same things in my notes. And I think uh, games are starting to do a much better job of, of saying this is how, um, this is how you're going to build a scenario. And I, especially I think the... Um, I think the more niche your uh, setting is, the more important it is to uh, to walk somebody through. Here's how to find the tropes. Um, here are the tropes. Here's some examples. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is why I love suggested uh, flavor lists or suggested reading yeah. lists, movie mm-hmm. lists, things like that, because it can help. And also, too, like if you're doing a game, say you're putting together an espionage game. Um, which I'm talking about for a reason. Um, but you can throw that a couple different ways. So you can do spooky investigation, you can do hardcore, you can do more comedic, whatever. So if you're giving those suggestions of for styles of play, that helps. I, lo- I love those kind of yeah. lists. Because one book isn't necessarily as niche as, say, a Knight's Black Agents. Maybe it's a little broader, so you want to give people the different flavor options as to how to do it. There's also a, the quite, to me, it's less and less... Uh, a differentiation that is necessary to make. I think that, that there's so much stuff on the spectrum now, to the, the point about the spectrum, I should say, so much stuff on the spectrum from crunchy to s- smooth advice, that the notion of when advice becomes part of the game rules is, like, it's, it's, it's interesting, but it's not necessarily um, particularly useful to draw lines on that, 
you know, on that color wheel, as it were, and decide, well, what is technically blue? Mm -hmm. And what I mean is that uh, in something like your Apocalypse World games, there's a lot of stuff that would be GM advice in other RPGs that is game rules in, the, in those games mm -hmm. that are very specific instructions and very specific practices. And there are games in which, uh, like a lot, a lot of the, the New World of Darkness stuff was a combination of playable advice and advice on pacing, on just, on just how to talk, like talk and mood and atmosphere, which wasn't anchored in the mechanics in the same way for, for reasons both good and bad. And uh, uh, the question, I think, in some cases is that if it is a game rule, we think of it as sometimes not being GM guidance or GM advice. Well, that's different. That's mechanics. And I think, I think there's a great value in especially when designing your book to at least cover that line with your finger between mechanics and, and, and advice for a while and say, it doesn't, I don't care which side of the line it falls on. What I care is, does it make the game run? And does it help the people know what to say and for how long to say it and when at the table? If all plays a conversation, one of those things to think about is how long does it take to do this? And at what point do we say, like with the safety procedures is mm -hmm. great because we know you introduce, introduce those at the beginning because you never know when they're going to come up. Right. But with things like game lore or uh, uh, I've never seen a game still, I was just thinking about this here at Metatopia, that has pacing rules or GM advice for character creation. <laughs> Not just how long should character creation take or how long should I expect it to take, but how do I make it so that if character creation is a session, that that session feel, has kind of a beginning, middle, and end, or has an arc to it, or feels mm. like a journey. Mm. Um, and that's because we think of it as a mechanical process. Right. But it's as much a conversation as anything else going on at the table. And the GM may or may not be present, like there isn't a lot of player advice. There's some, but there isn't nearly as much player advice yeah, no. in RPGs. And I think that's another one of those mm -hmm. notions for especially a, a room like this that is uh, sort of an unexamined uh, uh, tenet, but is also one that we can, I think, I, I certainly want to go forth and question is the notion that let's go ahead and, and I don't care if it's player advice or GM advice, the GM's a player too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, put that stuff into practice and if it makes, if it expresses what the game is, that's one of the ways to decide whether or not it goes in. Right. And coming back to, to yeah. safety tools for a second, it's not just a question of, in my opinion, presenting safety tools. It's also in that section of the GM advice, and not just explaining why you want to use them, but keying it to the type of game that you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe for a game that's a bit more broad and a bit more, you know, adventure and everything else, you can do a light touch on it. But if you're doing something that is more dark, more serious or anything else, you want to, again, integrate this into the material and really set up the GM to think about, well, even in the broader games, set up the GM to think about how they want to run the world. Is this all very light and comedic and the consequences aren't going to be that heavy? Mm -hmm. Or is this going to be a very serious emotional journey? And I've played even games of D&D &D that run the spectrum. Right. Yep. You know. Right. And that's, to me, real quick, the, one of the great things you can do with, with this, the, to show safety tools in play, I almost never see them in, GM, in examples of play. Yep. They're in the book sometimes and then not in the example of play. Show them in the example of play that yep. says somebody taps the pause card and says, asks a question. Somebody pushes fast forward and says, that's, that's great, but I don't, we don't need to get into the specifics of it. That's fine. But let's just move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it completely sets the tone for, also, I'm a firm believer of session zero, and, and I yeah. totally believe in working yeah. that in. Um, because again, it sets the right expectations for your group, for how the campaign's going to go. So everybody's a satisfactory experience. I know me as a player, I don't mind if a character dies or awful stuff happens, so long as it's part of the contract we've arranged. Right. 
as opposed to I think we're doing oh light fantasy adventure and all of a sudden now it's taken a very dark emotional psychological turn and I wasn't ready for that in this game. And I think you break up uh, you bring up a great point because after years of writing GMing advice, expectation setting mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. like is a huge majority mm-hmm. of, of where problems arise. Whether it's um, whether it's the outside of the book says this game is about one thing, and the inside of the book says right. you know the mechanics say something completely different, or it's um, you know I'm going to run a dark and gritty. You know, I'm going to run a dark and gritty campaign, but my characters all want to, you know, be light and funny. Right. Um, like, and having that um, as part of your GMing advice, or even, and, and, I, and I really liked what you said before about when do you, when do you basically encode it into the rules versus when do you say, hey, GM, this is a good idea, or GM, this is important, you should do it. Like, I think there's, um, I think there's a real art to knowing when mm-hmm. to put it on either side. Um, I think those are really important. Like the more places you can clear up expectations, and sometimes even if that's a sidebar in the GMing section, like designer to GM, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. hey, this is a thing about the game, and like if you push too hard on this part of the game, it's going to get really weird. Right. You know, and you can. Like we're not telling you, you can't. Just I know. You know, like if hey, that from, as opposed to yeah, like yeah. I've played tested a bunch of times. I know if you I know if you stress this one point, you know, too much, it's going to create this feeling in the game. Right. Take that as you want. Yeah. I feel yeah. like uh, the most dangerous genre shift in any game is the one that happens by accident. Mm-hmm. Totally. Right. It's one thing if you say this session of our, you know, uh, uh, thinky feely D and D game is going to be a little bit pratfalls and antics, just because that's whatever. It's just where we are this week, it's, and we're fine with it. It's another one if you're trying to stay on message and you're still trying to be a you know your thinky feely D and D session. If you play D and D with me, then. Uh, and then you accidentally fall into pratfalls. And sometimes that can happen, and this is a case for, for specific GM advice, if the players can't roll for shit <laughs> for a week, which happens to me all the time. Or the GM can. If anybody, they're just like, there are no teen numbers on this dice. This D20 just goes 1 to 10. <laughs> um, uh, but if that sort of thing happens, the system can get out, can get away from you and lead you into those sorts of places. Even if that's, to you, a feature, not a bug, if somebody doesn't know it's a feature, they right. may encounter it and mistake it for a bug. Um, and a lot of that is contextual, is right. what, what, is it, what is feature and what is bug. Or just plain, you have different definitions of a word. Mm. So, for example, I was in a Dresden Files campaign very briefly, um, and I came in after they had already established the game, so they already like two or three sessions in, and in case you don't know Dresden Files, you're supposed to do integrated backstories. So I said to the GM, I'll make your life easy. How about if my character starts off with amnesia? He's like, okay. So basically, the, creating the thing with them would be they find me. My character was tossed out of a van. Basically, she was a, I forget, a lycanthrope or wear creature mm-hmm. or whatever. And, um, and I said, how about if like, she had been part of a Michael Vick type? She doesn't know this, but she had been part of a Michael Vick type uh, animal fighting thing only with shapeshifters. So, okay, I'm expecting dark because it's Dresden Files and I'm pitching this idea. Okay, fine. So we do that, and then two sessions later, he introduces the idea without talking to anyone at the table of that there was also a bestiality angle to this. And then posits the question musingly at the end of a session, so if you're a female lycanthrope and you're pregnant, would you change? And keep in mind, my character doesn't have her memory. And it's like, oh crap, I did not sign up for this. Yes, I signed up for dark, but not that kind of dark. 
So I, I, I mean, that was totally on the GM, but you know, these pivots, yeah. know that you're using the same language as your players. And, and check in, don't just assume at the beginning, we've had that conversation. Yeah, exactly. And, but that's where you can't necessarily cover every single experience that somebody can do in the GM section, but to try to, you know, suggest like, okay, so when you're saying things up, make sure you understand the meaning of these terms and that you're coming at it from the same place and everything else. Because even the guys, once he did that, the guys in the session were like, are you okay? Because he's creeping me out. X card, X card. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right. Well, at that point, we didn't know about the X card. Oh, this, yeah. this was a number of years ago, but it was, this was like the first version yep. of, of Dresden that was brand new. But it was like, uh-uh, you know. So make sure, because just to say, oh, we're going dark or we're going very serious or creepy, how do you mean that? Right. Creepy could mean body horror or it could just mean lots of spooky. And right. there's a big difference between those. And then the, just the notion of the form of RPG as a medium is the surprise is in an RPG surprise can be like can be like a jump scare in a movie and surprising an audience or it can be like showing up to work one day uh, with your collaborators and somebody says surprise the show is no longer a spaceship drama we're going to be a we're going to be little house in the prairie we're landing the spaceship in in rural Iowa and that's the rest of the show from now on you'd be like okay but that's not what I signed up for um, because they're your collaborators and so this uh, it's it's not yeah, checking in on those terms before these kind of decisions get uh, uh, put forward and, and offered into play before these kind of mistakes or worse happen. And reinforcing that, like I said, in the GM section of right. your book, so you know, to suggest that, you know, hey, you know, make sure you're all on the same page and that you are understanding the term. Because yeah. again, no matter how specific to tone the, the RPG is or broad, you still want to make sure you're in the same playing field and you can reinforce that in the GM section. Active verbs are a great way to do that in the text as a, and the word when. Um, if, when, if, then. These are things that help you establish uh, if a player doesn't know what to say, when a player talks too long or too much, when a player interrupts somebody else in this game. Uh, these kind of moments, you're never going to hit all of them, but the, what, part of what they do is they turn, they show that advice and the policies and the procedures into, was this an opportunity for me to check and to, to make a decision as a GM to play into the game or play away from the game? Mm -hmm. Um, because so often we do this stuff intuitively, or we do it yep. as GMs, we do it intuitively, or we do it without. We do it and then make the decision afterwards and say, boy, am I happy with the way that went? Because when you're in the moment, you're worrying, there's so many things that you're juggling, that you're wor working about. And so turning thought and, and that process into muscle memory for the GM is helpful. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I think active verbs and policies, uh, 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 procedures are super helpful. Um, to go back to what Beth said, if your game has a... Um, procedural session zero, like, like Dresden does, uh, Fate has a lot of those, um, you should consider putting in a section in your GMing advice that says when a new player joins the game, because right. instead of just saying, hey, we made all the aspects for this, and we created all of this, and now you're coming in, and uh, here, take a look at this, how do you then have a moment where that new player gets to also um, affect the, right. that, that, that session zero space? Because... Otherwise, that new player now is um, a little on the outside yep. and trying to work their way in. Whereas if, you know, we said, okay, well, Beth, now that you're joining, we're actually going to get rid of one of these three aspects of the game and replace it or alter it with one that you're going to help contribute. Right. You, you now get ownership into that space and you feel less on the outside. Mm -hmm. So if your game has procedures for how to, you know, burn up your, um, your group into, you know, to take off, 
you should also have a way to integrate yep. um, or probably remove mm -hmm. when it's time for somebody to leave. Like, right. is there an yep. effect on the, on that, you know, on that yeah. same session zero space? And that's, you're both absolutely right uh, about the value of that, I think. And that's a great example of, of the difference between what is and isn't mechanical. Right. And then these aren't edge cases, right? Where somebody right. comes or leaves, leaves, comes into a game or leaves a game or is gone for five weeks and is going to come back. Um, but they're not things that are that the RPGs individually tend to worry about, and not every RPG does. But if it if your game has things like session zero and collaborative mm -hmm. session play, um, it's still design. It's and I would I, I still argue it's game design, but it's certainly still user interface design, uh, uh, which is one of the jobs that you do as the GM and how the GM advice, guidance, rules plug into the book. Do we want to do some questions? I would love yeah, to. Yeah, I think so. Do people have? Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you, you, you raised your hand earlier, and I didn't answer you, so I'm going to pick you first. Uh, <clears throat> from a state of mind standpoint, when you guys are writing sections for GMs, are you writing for GMs or are you writing for people who GMs? Great Good question. question. Yeah. Uh, for the sake of that microphone, I'm going to repeat your question then real quick, which is uh, when we're the mindset that we have in uh, uh, the process early on when we're writing these chapters, are we writing for GMs or for people who will become GMs? Uh, I, I think the hard part is you have to, you, since you can't assume, it's like you said before, since we can't assume, we need to do a little bit of both. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think identifying when you're writing, I mean, one way to do it is that if you write about, if you write to people who are going to become GMs, you kind of cover everybody because if it's a new game, everybody's a new GM to this game. And how much stuff do you want people importing from their other GM experiences into your game? And if you don't say, this is how this game differs from, the, from some standard old uh, folkloric practices of GMing, or this is a specific thing to do if, when, in this situation, then the GM's gonna bring the skill set that they bring from, what, from a previous game to it. And that can sometimes be poison. Uh, or at the very least, it can, what it could be is it, it might not fit through the door, right? Um, that it has a problem that uh, there's a lot of, I think, advice that gets inherited from RPG to RPG by the players and the GMs that is not that is never analyzed or auditioned or questioned, um, and is considered to be then part of the hobby. And that's how these kind of the the certain practices get going, including the questions like uh, when or how you roll for information. When and how you tell a player what their character could know or might know, what you, wh whether or not you're allowed to tell a character that they have an idea, right? A lot of games don't cover this stuff, and so some people are, are not right or wrong, it's not necessarily bad, but are inheriting these decision-making processes of how and what kinds of roles are legal from whatever RPG they played first. And so that, it's not just a question, I think, although it's a terrific question, but it's also a question of GMs who are already GMs, where are they coming from? What kind of GM, what, you know, what, what uh, uh, school of GMing did they come out of? And since there's no way to know, if you if you treat them in part like they have familiarity with media but are new to new to your game, uh, then it's still possible to to introduce them without talking down to them. And that's the that's the the trick I think is to always be inviting in rather than suggesting that somebody who is a longtime GM is more a GM than somebody else. You know what I mean? Which is not something I think a lot of games do, but it's something that a player can infer, right? You know, accidentally or intentionally. Uh, or knowingly, I should say, or, or accidentally, when when GM advice talks about people, well, long-time GMs will know that that doesn't help anybody, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and otherwise, uh, I think that's the best way to invite and, and, and pull up onto the stage the players that you want to come and play this game today, GM or not. Sorry. Yeah. Henry? Uh, so, outside of places like Metatopia, I think 
a majority of people either come from actually like playing video games or they come from being aware of playing video games. And like we're saying, there's a lot of things that get taken along with that, including a lot of, I guess, sort of toxic memes like mm. "GM is God," uh, right? Or, or like on a one something horrible, you always hear horribly something hilarious happens. On a twenty, you always succeed massively. And like roll, you roll for things you do, so you roll for stupid stuff. You know? Right. Uh, and uh, like I've seen in a lot, a lot of I guess more recent games, some sort of struggling against that. Like an error is actually in the DM section or something like the GM is not God. <laughs> um, but how do you? Uh, because there's a lot of people coming for other games like play D and D or they hear about D and D and they know our views are a thing, and they sort of absorb some of that with the sort of popular culture around it, and they go to other games. Is there a way to, to sort of anticipate that in the gaming section, or is that just something that's too, that's something you can't, you can't afford to do? Right. I, I, I think, I don't know, I, think, I mean, it, it's probably too harsh to be like, hey, here's some things we have to deprogram out of you. But I think that, um, I think one of the things you can do throughout the book, um, through your examples that you're writing throughout the book, through the tone you use to write the book, um, you can set some of those things. So you can very early in a book talk about GM as a facilitator, not as, you know, as, you know, game deity. Like, you know, and, and, and then have examples in the book elsewhere where even though the example isn't about the GM not as God but more as facilitator, right. you know, you can stuff that into your combat section example and, and just, you know, by way of showing, mm -hmm. you can, you know, like, look, here's right. how we collaborated on this critical hit or something as opposed to, you know... So here's yeah, how the GM can, even in those situations, here's how the GM can be an adversary without being an adversary of the players. Right. Yeah. That kind I, of stuff. I mean, powered by the apocalypse. I mean, I think takes that one step further because it codifies all of it. It's like this is like this is what this game is about. This is the things that are important to do, and here's the things you're allowed to do. Mm -hmm. Like it's, I mean, they're super broad those GM moves, but I mean, they're codified. They they say like do these things and. In some ways, um, it's kind of interesting because, like you said, as you watch different people come in, I, I love asking that question, like, what are people's first role-playing games? Because right. um, they, have very, it, they have very interesting outlooks. Like, you mm -hmm. can start to trace. Like, if your first game was basic D&D &D versus your first game was, you know, Call of Cthulhu, mm -hmm. you have a very different, different there's a very different example. And now we're seeing people's first game, you know, and then for a little while, people's first games was Vampire. Mm -hmm. And you could totally tell that. And now we're starting to see that people's first games are things like Dungeon World. And it's starting to have, you know, we're starting to see this new shift in, um, in new GMs because their first experiences are these like more um, overt explanations of what a game is about, and even more codified to what they can, what they do. And I think we'll see in the next, uh, we're seeing it now, and we'll see it over the next couple of years that people's first games are the games that they're watching on Twitch and YouTube. Yes. And that's mm -hmm. where a lot of that learning is going to happen, which help, which is good for us as designers because we can watch those same things and get a sense of what is gaining momentum and whether we want to steer our game in a different direction or not. Mm -hmm. um, but also some of the lingo and terms, for example, that mean different things in different games. Um, this is, you know, stating terms is one way to kind of help break some of the, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, cruft, you know, the, the calcifying uh, cultural stuff that we might not want or that you might not want in this game. Um, uh, uh, things like, you know, what does out of character mean? Or what does, uh, when is it okay to talk out of character? Uh, these kind of questions that are considered often to be parts of the medium and not part of a specific game, but are really 
simultaneously both. Uh, and on the one hand, a game absolutely contributes to the culture. And on the other hand, a game, by and large, with of course exceptions from generally games that have Vincent Baker's name on them, are uh, which is great. I'm not. This is not a slight, but is that uh, uh, games generally contribute to? They don't actually change. They don't turn. They don't make help culture make actual turns so quickly in jargon and, and, and procedure, except for when you get certain really big breakthroughs. And so what you're doing is uh, remembering that your table is as much a table as any other table that, that you're going to, the tables playing your game are part of the culture, they're not a separate thing from it. And so what do you want to add to the culture and to the dialogue and to the process that's going on? Because subtracting from it is really, 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 really hard for any kind of creative media and culture, but what you can do is create room for the good stuff and people will migrate to the good stuff and then the only way that the only way that things fall out of these kind of cultures in my experience uh, uh, is to go unused if you uh, uh, and, right I mean you and, and one way to do that is to say hey don't don't this game just doesn't have PvP just don't attack the other players not allowed it just doesn't happen the, the game will, will not work for you if you try um, to fight the PvP for example but you can't if you actually create a mechanic that punishes PvP or a game advice that punishes PvP, you're still kind of drawing too much attention to it and kind of playing into it. So uh, there's a certain I don't know what's the what's the word I'm thinking of is like judo, right? Is that notion yeah, where you use the, the momentum against Aikido. Him. Aikido, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and also I, I think that, you know, I don't believe personally for the purposes of a, of how long an RPG book has to stay on a shelf, making an RPG book super topical when it's looking backward is not as effective as making it super topical when looking forward or laterally. Say what the game is, what you want to have happen. And don't say so much, I, I would say, about what you want to, what you've seen happen at other tables and don't want to have happen here. Mm -hmm. Protect that from happening with things like the safety tools and things, like statements like that, the GM is not God. Uh, but then also show, 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 show. Every, I, I can't think of an example in an RPG book, like a written example, that is not an opportunity for GM demonstration to show how the GM works. It's the player picks up the die and roll, makes an attack roll. They they get a 19, they get a 1. Uh, the GM says, you are teaching somebody how to GM. Somebody's going to read into that. And so let's be responsible with how that, you know, example looks. Because um, for me, I'm a sucker for that. I, I hate it when a 1 means your character is now an idiot. Yeah. For, for 20 minutes or whatever it is. Um, and that's not no. I, not a lot of games say if you roll a one, your character is embarrassed and your player has no fun. We've carried it, yeah. but it's very. But it's in the water. Yeah. And it's like in Twitch streams and like mm -hmm. live and podcasts and stuff. A lot of times, I don't want and a lot of times it's really funny, and especially because a lot of them are humor based. Mm -hmm. uh, that gets played up, and I think that's like sort of an element you have to like players assuming their character is an idiot when they roll a one in a game with a d20 combat resolution. Right. Having to go, no, 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 that just means you will not the fake against you. It doesn't mean that your highly skilled swordsman just decided to, to, to stick a sword to the ground and go, go right. Go. Right. Has suddenly forgotten which end is the blade or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, go. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, no I was going to say, I've, I've handled that sometimes instead as like, they were distracted or whatever. Right. So it's not a humiliating thing. It's not a comedic thing. It's just, A, there's a lot going on thing. Yeah. You know, which is much more realistic anyway. I was just having this thought. Sorry, I sometimes yeah. just do that out loud. <laughs> um, I was just having this thought that, like, as we write this book, like, we are the like we're the ambassadors to the culture of this game. Yeah. Um, and, and there were a couple things. There was an interesting panel on being un, um, unapologetically political. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just riffing a couple things that I've I've bumped into in the last couple of days. And there was an article. It's a great article I read. 
um, about um, helping to enforce culture about um, we don't do that here, mm -hmm. right? I don't know if, if either yeah. one of you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we did. Yeah. Um, and so I think there are parts of your book where, um, one, I think it's perfectly fine to say no. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had a, um, I'm working on this game called um, Hydro Hacker Operatives and it's about um, the, uh, there is the lack of, um, there's a no, there is no more um, free drinkable water. Mm -hmm. um, and it's now all controlled by a corporate government authority. And um, you play these, you know, Robin Hood stealing water to keep your neighborhood alive. And in a play test, a, um, somebody asked me, um, hey, are you ever going to make it so that you can play the water authority? Mm -hmm. And I very, like, without, by reflex, I was like, no. Like, you never get to play the oppressor in this game, ever. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and that's okay. Like, that is, and that's actually going to get written, like, right. directly in the book. Like, that's one where it's just simply a flat-out It's no. not what that game yep. is about. It, it's not about it, and nor do I want the game to actually be associated with that. Like, right. this is not right. a game about promoting oppression. Like, right. you're, you know, the whole game is about struggling underneath it. Right. Um, so I think there's a space for... For there's a space to be unapologetically, sure. you yes. know, flat out no. And then there's another space where we can show we don't do that here. Right. right. Yeah. And that's me. That I still think of that as yeah, not necessarily forward as a forward projection. You're saying what the game is and it's not about, yep. and not looking back at how other games have not been about it. Right. Because yeah, you don't want to spend a lot of work on something that you don't want associated with your game. <laughs> um, so show what the game is, mm -hmm. and I think one one way to do that is negative space and to say this game is not about playing the oppressors. Right. Right. And then don't don't give us twenty pages on not playing oppressors. Right. Right. The whole game is about not playing oppressors. Not play so oppressors. That, there's yeah. another game sure. somewhere you right, can go right. play that. Please, not in this one. Yeah. Right. And something like that, you definitely want to be explicit with. Mm -hmm. But going back to something you said earlier about um, writing the GM section, assuming that you're a new GM and um, carrying that part forward um, because you don't know what they are. Another thing that you could do with that is, yes, write the section as if, assuming they are a new GM, but if you want to try and a way to try and sort of shift the experienced GMs reading the section or to incentivize them to read the section, have little subheads for, if you're an experienced GM, and make it sort of like tips and suggestions because then you're kind of playing to people's egos. Mm. And because everybody wants to think of themselves as an expert. And so then they'll be like, oh, okay, well, I'm an experienced GM, even if that only means like they did two sessions. And you're kind of baiting them into reading this thing where then you can sort of steer them towards slightly different behaviors. Huh. So the overall section is still written as if you're a newcomer. The newcomers are still going to read the advance because they're going to be curious, but it's a way of possibly baiting in the person who is an experienced GM. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much. I think I'm not sure I agree. Okay. That's part. No, it's just, I didn't really thought about it because to me it's that I can imagine GMs because from contact mm -hmm. GMs who are who come to the hobby not sure that they've that their paper badge that says GM is going to get them in the door. Right. Um, that they might not read the advanced section or the, those little sections because mm -hmm. like, well, I'm, uh, there's already so much to read. And they may not. Right. I'm just trying to like do the carrot method right, for the right. people who already have some calcified ideas. This might be a way of, you know, using the carrot instead of the stick to right. lead them to new ideas. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. if you write the whole section for if you're a newcomer, they may just skip it entirely. Uh, right, right. No, I think that, I think that split is, is sound, especially where the notion is. Mm -hmm. But what, what I wonder is, can you do it in a way that says, for this game, so you've played two sessions of this mm -hmm. game. And some people are going to say, well, but I've played, I played 100 million sessions of games. I right. can skip ahead and read this section right now. Right. Right, might still be, Because it's the self-identifying as you're an experienced right. GM. I know so many GMs who I think of as being experienced who don't think of themselves that way. Right. And so I'd be wary of that kind of... But I know what you mean, by, but certainly I think that, that notion of 
helping people who already feel like they come into the game with right. that expertise. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. It's basically trying to incentivize them right. into accepting maybe a new idea. Right, right, yeah, yeah. That, that part I totally agree. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Questions? Yeah. Uh, sorry, this might be getting a bit too specific. And, and assuming that it's non-mechanical, right? So that's not, yeah, yeah. yeah. For for me, the it's it's when I when I've dealt with this successfully at the table, and so therefore how I try to put it into the book is to literally just say it. Mm -hmm. To have a GM just say, uh, honestly, if you if you go to the to the Kingdom of Glenmark, you are so far outside of my notes that I'm that I'm going to be winging it. If we're fine, if you're fine with me winging it, I'm not sure I am. Or just say, I can't wing that tonight. So this is the shape of the sandbox. And it's great if you start off saying, we're going to intuit. I'm going to artfully portray the shape of the sandbox. And But then if the players leave it, you say, um, I have to sound, I have to have the yellow light start spinning verbally and say, you are leaving my, my area, my comfort area, the part that I'm actually prepared for. Um, and just say, and work with them then to, to have things like, so why would their characters not, you know, Let's think of reasons why your characters could stay here. Right. Why they would decide to stay here. I, I would also flip this around. This yeah. is useful player advice. Yeah. So in right. the right. player section of the game, there's an obligation to, hey, this is a game about where we play published adventures. We play, you know, this linear path adventure. Not railroad, but we play, you know, scene to scene to scene. Thanks. And, hey, it's your responsibility to actually help the GM stay right. on test. Like, when I go and play a convention game, Part of my job is not to go run off to the far corner of the game. Right. Right. If the blurb of the game says, you know, we're taking this wagon train to Carson City, then it's <laughs> on me to have a reason why I want this wagon train to get to Carson City. Right. Like, and it's, so, it's not the GM's responsibility for the player to not buy a shop in St. Louis and stay there. Right. Like, so, I, so I actually think you can attack it from both sides. Yeah. Is one, you can have the GM be honest. And two, you can say to the players, like, hey, it's your responsibility to stay in this game, too. It's not your responsibility. And again, when we talk about carrying over bad stuff, because mm -hmm. I remember, like, 10-year-old Phil, you know, 10-year-old <laughs> Phil's job was to, you know, terrorize the GM by, like, well, I don't want to go in the dungeon, clearly because he's got... The you know he's got the three panel TSR right. you know the cover of the I'm book up and it says dungeon <laughs> yeah. but no I need to go to the nearby town and have an adventure like that was on me that was me being bad it's right? not like, that different from the question about playing the water authority in right. some ways right it's less, it's it's less fraught in the sense that it's not an affront to the game but yep. it's still an affront to what this instance of the game is about. And it's breaking your contract yeah. in playing the game. Because yeah. that thing, as a player, you do have a contract with the GM as far as what to do and not to do. And, and it can get fuzzy at times. I think sometimes we actually take it too easy on the players. Yeah. That there's a set of player responsibilities. Like yeah. You have a responsibility to this game. You have a responsibility to um, uphold some of these tropes. You have a responsibility right. to maintain your end of the tone of this game. Right. I mean, because, I mean, I guess, you know, like the word... I, I, from vampire like the 
Malkavian player who's going to like you know mm-hmm. kill the tone of this game because they've you know they've gone you know they're crazy, but they've decided to just you know at the same time you know I'm going to be light and fluffy and you know, I'm going to come in from a different game. Yeah, right. and, and so all of a sudden I'm going to try and make a lightsaber in a high fantasy game. <sighs> yeah, and so I, I I actually think it's okay to just put in a player advice section. That oh, says, absolutely. Like, yep. You you have a responsibility. Keep this is this is your half of the contract. Yeah, we're almost yep. out mm-hmm. of time. So one last question. Yeah. sit down and have a conversation for 90 minutes or two hours whatever it is and then nothing else nothing happens it's all in the restaurant and there isn't a story per se it counts as a movie not what I would necessarily use as an example for hey you want to start making movies the first thing you should watch is dinner with Andre right it's still allowed as a movie but those kind of sessions holding them up as examples of hey but I've also done this cool stuff like to me play dirty is a neat essay collection but it's not a, it's not a it's not a textbook right. it's not a thing I would teach from Right, but it is, I mean, for sampling error, it's, right. you know, if that winds up being somebody's first GMing book. Right, right. Like, I mean, there's a certain, I don't know, I, I mean, I like John, and there's a yeah. certain part of where John does that. Sure, sure. And there's that, other things John does yeah, yeah. as well, yeah. The term that I like for this is the warranty, which is that if you if you do this thing to the game, you are, you, you, if, you, if you make your L5R game actually a computer simulation in a matrix, and it turns out you're playing Cyberpunk, which I did once, um, uh, which is not a recommendation. I'm just saying it's we, we're, I make mistakes, um, like constantly. But it's the point that those kind of edge cases void the warranty on the game you're playing. I can no longer blame L5R if that game doesn't work. Right. I use, <laughs> it's not there. It's not that game's a GM advice as default. I use the pharmaceutical term off-label usage. Yeah, mm. and and if you're going to do something like that, I really feel like you have to have some sort of shadowing or something. To sort of hint at because yeah the pull in the bay and switch is just oh. a it's an asp- it's an aspirational thing about yeah. how good the how well the group knows each other and knows themselves and is playing together and that's kind of that the game can help that but a game is just a one of the one of the participants in that magical dynamic that makes those kinds of edge cases possible. And if you kind of say to, to the players that, hey, I'm going to do something, like if you're a wrong running group, hey, I'm going to do something different with this, but I'm not going to say what because I do want to, you know, have an element of surprise, and then very carefully foreshadow it so that it's more of a, oh, then right. a what? Right. You can maybe get away with it, but that takes a lot of finesse. Guiding yeah. into the tone rather right. than making a complete switch. Right. Right. Subverting expectations is right. a, always a, a fraught. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it can be done well right. in certain ways, but when the bait, I, and I've given this advice like at many, many cons, because the bait and switch is one of those ones where yeah. when you hear somebody who's done it successfully, they're in like the vast majority. Most cases, you have flipped it. The game, the game group is angry with you, and you will <laughs> like stop playing that game almost immediately. Right. Yeah. I think we're... Yeah. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for coming. Thank you. I did see one, what was it? Uh, I know somebody who flipped a Delta Green game into Wraith.
Sure. Like okay. everybody started right. playing Delta Green and they got killed immediately. And then it's like, oh, now we're playing Rage.